Well, today oh. I am joined by Neil Samworth, or Neil Sam Samworth, a former prison yep. officer who worked at Strangeways and Forest Bank in Salford, uh, and is author of Strangeways, a prison officer's story, and is also host of the Real Porridge podcast. So lovely to speak to you. Yeah, that's a fantastic introduction. <laughs> uh, soon to be twice published author. Okay. 30, 31st of March, 2022. Uh, mm-hmm. Unlocking Strange Ways will be coming out. So it's not exactly a follow up book. It's a more in depth look at prison, not mm-hmm. only prison uh, relationships I had with people that have become friendships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm hoping that when people read that book, they get a real understanding that, you know, we don't have the same life choices and maybe not be so judgmental of people who've been to prison. So. Mm-hmm. I'm quite looking forward to that coming out. So, yeah, right, how's it fire been? away, Luke, okay. mate. <laughs> yeah, how's it been writing a book? Because I, I can see it right. being first, maybe first a daunting all, task. First of all, um, I I work with a writer. Let let me tell you now, writing is a skill, mate. So, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people don't understand being an author. So I've got the stories, obviously. Um, initially. I forgot the name for it. Oh, book proposal, right? So just got on Google, mm-hmm. November 2016. I was at a loss. I weren't in a good place mentally. Got on Google, you know, about writing a book and all that. Um, put me off. Uh, it, it's not It's not the best. You know, something like a thousand, a thousand scripts, one will get read. Mm. The rest will get binned. Um the odds aren't very good getting a book published, especially with a publisher. Obviously, you can self-publish. But mm-hmm. again, that's got its own pitfalls. So I needed a book proposal. I bought a book off Amazon that tells you how to write a book proposal. I've been that. <laughs> and I decided I would get a ghostwriter. Yeah, so a ghostwriter, exactly what it says. Someone, um, you know, they, they don't put the name to the work. Mm-hmm. Found this lass in Ireland. She agreed. We met up one day from that over a month correspondence. We got a book proposal. What I decided I needed was something that looked professional. So if mm-hmm. it landed on your desk and you're an agent, because that's what I was after, you'd pick that up and think, well, you know, it'd stand out amongst the others. And it worked. Um, mm-hmm. It got read, got myself an agent. Martin Redfern, nice fella, works for a big company called North Bank management in london um mm-hmm. he put the book out there within a month he'd got uh three offers on the table one with pam mcmillan or obviously fifth biggest publisher in his country mm-hmm. went down to pam mcmillan saw them they hooked me up with a writer i met some writers a couple you know well published but the lad we went with was a yorkshire lad and the concept of the book i thought you know there'd be a chapter on drugs a chapter on this, chapter on this. Tony sat down with me. First thing he said, tell me a bit about yourself, Sam. Looked at the publisher, looked at the agent, said, we need to do a memoir. Lead into it, life story, growing up, prison, and away you go. So Tony Annan, who did the first book I've worked with on the second book, is mm-hmm. super talented. He's a sports writer, writes books on sport, which they're not... They're not published, you know, they're not like fiction's the best seller, non fiction. 
mm-hmm. doesn't sell as well. And obviously sports and things like that, then it's a, a limited audience. So, mm. But the experience itself, it was really good, dead positive, all really nice people. But when you get into it, publishing is a tough gig, mate. It really is. Most yeah. people, if you averaged everyone out, including the lass who wrote all the Harry Potter books, who obviously is mega successful, <laughs> you're lucky to sell a 1,000 books average. Mm. So, yeah, it's done really well. Good experience. Um, and that's where we are now. So, fire away. So, what compelled you? Uh, was it at the age of 18 to decide you wanted to work as a prison officer? Right. <laughs> I at 18, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually become a prison officer. How old, how old are you? I'm 21. <laughs> right, so... Oh, wow. Were you born just before the millennium then? I was born on it, so, what, 2000 in December, so... Right, so, well, that, that is a very good time. So, millennium, uh, I was stood on the door of RSVP in Sheffield. The door was bouncing. Mm-hmm. Been in engineering for 20-odd years. Um, fed up of being made redundant. Needed some positivity in my life. Um, I decided at that point, my mate had been telling me it should be a prison officer. At that at that age, I was 38 then. Mm-hmm. Um Decided to start looking. 2001, got offered a job at Forest Bank in Salford. So I commuted for 12 months, uh, wrote three cars off. Um, <laughs> one on the Snake Pass, two on the Woodhead Pass in yeah. snow and ice. <laughs> and then I moved, relocated to Greater Manchester, obviously. Mm-hmm. So early years, no idea. In the 80s, I knew prison officers were on good money or whatever, but, you know, I was into my rugby and that, and it weren't even a, a glance. So it was actually the millennium when I okay. decided that that I was going to go for it. Mad. So what, what rugby are you interested in? Rugby league or rugby union? Rugby union. Ooh. A tired prop. Um, okay. I used to, when, when I was over there at Forest Bank and Stranger, I actually played at Lee. Okay. Rugby, What's in rugby union for, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mad. So all, all good, really. Yeah, good. Very cool. So how did you find working as a prison officer? Is, is that a young age at 38 years old? Is that young for prison officers? Or Well, let me tell you now, mate, they're starting at 18 now. The, av- the average age of prison officers now is the youngest it's ever been. They're employing mm. people at 18. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of youngsters, there's no sort of people what I'd call... Uh, the, the people applying above 30, very limited. Uh, mm. They're all youngsters, not a lot of experience. Um, at that age, I wouldn't have been able to do it, me. I was, you know, I was into my rugby, Saturday night, go out, have, have a fight with somebody or whatever, you know. Traditional fist fight, none of these knives and kicking people on the floor or whatever. I, I just, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have been mature enough. I wouldn't have even considered it. Now, mm-hmm. um, not a good situation. Uh, they're continually recruiting, you know, train someone. Most people now in the job are under two years in. So you imagine now yourself, how would you, mm. you know, would it, is it something you consider? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
So why why would you do that at 18, 19, 20? I don't mm. know what is attracting youngsters to the job, but they're the only people that's going for the job. So uh, very difficult one. Me, what? you know, mm-hmm. I got my life experiences and skills, but it was still a terrifying prospect. When I went for that job, the interview, you know, I can't even tell you how nervous I were. You know, I got there early because I come from Sheffield. Sat in car park for now. I'm absolutely terrified. So I don't know what these people are thinking. Mm. I don't know what what they think they're going into, honestly, because you know, it's not good. Would you say that I don't know? Um, it TV shows, movies might have glorified prison to a certain extent, and oh. not exactly detracted from the reality of it. But I don't know what the perception or some people's I- perception of it. Well, I, I'll tell you what I think the princess is very good doing. They're, they're good at selling the job. So mm. when I was 18, yeah, uh, 17, in fact, when I left school, you could actually sign on, get benefit till you got a job. So as a 17-year-old, uh, there was a lot of apprenticeships and things like that. Now, I don't think... I, I think there are jobs out there, but I don't think they're attractive to young people. So the prison service, they're selling it as 25 grand at 18, signing that's, up for 40, yeah, signing news. up for 41 hours. Um, the reality is it's 22 grand mm-hmm. um, for a 37-hour week. If you sign up for 41 hours, so that's like four hours extra, pro rata, it's 25 grand. So as an 18-year-old, you can earn 25 grand a year. Mm as much overtime as you want. And I, I think maybe that is attracting the youngsters. It's not attracting older people because, you know, with no dis- disrespect to anyone, it's just sort of just above retail money or whatever. However, mm-hmm. the stress and the reality of the job compared to, say, working in retail, you know, it's just worlds apart, mm-hmm. worlds apart. But they do a very good job of selling it. You know, they get mm-hmm. young people on advertisements you know, oh, I'm going to change the world. And do you not think yourself, like youngsters now, you know, a lot of them are sort of climate control and going green and all this. And and that's how they sell it. You know, you can go into a job, you can help people, you can make a difference. The reality mm-hmm. is it's very, very violent. Um, certainly the last three or four years, it's going back to 23-hour bang-up, which is what it used to be in the 70s and mm-hmm. 80s. You know, maybe you might get out for exercise, a shower, if you're lucky, that sort of thing. So I, th- I think they're doing a very good job at selling it. Obviously, people are going for it, youngsters. Hmm. The other side of it is, when I started, there was both at Strange Ways and Forest Bank, there were youngsters on my course. However, there was experience around them. You know, hmm. people like myself with life skills, but also when they went into the job, it was experienced staff. Now, you know, I, I don't know, maybe 10, 15% of prison officers have been in more than two years. All the rest are under two years. And and exactly, it's it's inexperience uh, that'll mm-hmm. make it difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a lot of prisoners, they're streetwise, they're tough or whatever, and you just rip them apart. Literally, mm. sometimes, but also, I, I think there's a lot of naivety comes with being a young person. You know, you haven't mm-hmm. got, you haven't got that savvy. There's no experience to 
when when I went in, what I was looking for, when there was an incident, you're looking for someone how to deal with it, you know, because mm-hmm. you don't know. If somebody comes up, you know, and starts swearing, do I punch him? What what do I do? You don't know. Whereas now, there's no experience around, so they're not learning how to deal with people. So mm-hmm. how, how would you talk to me? Like, if I'm a typical prisoner, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And I'm being aggressive. With, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's if- the problem. If I did have a clue, it'd probably be one that it'd be a script that had been given to me. I'd be trained to say these certain things, yeah. these de-escalation tactics that yeah. of, often don't actually work and don't maybe actually work in the ways that you might think they would because at the end of the day, the things you say are, are just interpretable. So you can say all these things and try and de-escalate it all you want, but if the person you're coming up against has got it in their mind that they yep. they want to do either you or someone or something, some damage or some harm, you yep. saying these pacifying words and trying to calm things down might not actually do anything and might, it's if not, anything, provoke them. It's not. You know, the, the other thing is, um, with them being young, very, very open to being manipulated. Mm. Uh, you know, they talk about conditioning a lot. I, I don't believe in conditioning. When they say conditioning, they're on about, you know, prisoners sort of getting you to do what what they want you to do sort of thing. Like, you know, at strange ways, I might go on a wing that wasn't my wing, so I might not know the lads. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I was walking upstairs and they were up to no good, you know, you might get three of them sat on stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you'd walk up. Yeah, do you mind moving, lads? Why? Because I'm going up there. Me, that's it. I'm going up there. Mm. What if we don't move? I'll press an alarm bell. You can all go behind your doors. You know, oh, there's no need to be like that. Bam, you're in. But, mm. you know, what, like you say, what What would you do if there's three lads my age, you mm. know, twice your size, sat on stairs saying, go away? What are you going to do? Probably go away. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, corruption is going through the roof now. Mm. Um, I've got a very good friend. He, he's retired now. He's a prison officer for 25 years. His missus mm-hmm. is a prison officer. His brother-in-law, uh, sister-in-law, prison officers. And his daughter went into the job at 18. Uh, at 19, she got sacked and she nearly ended up in prison because she fell in love with someone started taking things in. He didn't know this, but for mm. him, it's like a source of embarrassment. But like I've said to him, you know, I, I won't want my daughter 18. In fact, I won't want, it don't matter how old she was, you know, I, I won't want her going into that job. Mm. So, you know, he's seen it firsthand. He's done the job 25 years, worked with some of the most dangerous and his, his daughter's now at home. You know, she just, just about escaped prison Mm. And, and he sees that embarrassing. But when you look at it, that that's the facts of it. You know, um, there's a lot of charming people in there. A lot of prisoners are really charming. Mm-hmm. And and that's what they use. You know, I might be in your face one day. The next day I'm talking to you nicely. Somebody might be having a go at you. Another prisoner, I'll come up, tell them to do one or whatever. And, and mm. that's what they do. They just, they just play you. So very, very difficult. Very difficult. Hmm. Uh, So what was the thing that shocked you the most about the prison system? Um, You learn uh, or you you see very soon 
or early on in my career that there's no rehabilitation. You're not mm -hmm. rehabilitating anyone. Don't mean you can't help anyone while you're there. Uh, you know, I found that out now by being a decent person, speaking to people and treating people right, you mm -hmm. can help them. And, you know, you can change the way they think or whatever, the perspective of the system. However, we're not giving people skills, you know, mm. to come out of prison. A lot of people really go on about education when they're talking about rehabilitation and that. But I know plenty of people, intelligent men who've been to prison, two or three degrees, mm. you know, a master's, something like that in the back pocket. When they come out of prison, they can't settle down and they still can't get jobs. Mm. So for me, you know, this whole rehabilitation thing, all prison is good for is locking people up, keeping them locked up and keeping the public safe by doing that. Mm. Other than that, you're doing very little. You, yeah, like I say, you can affect these lads now, you know, who are good friends of mine, not because I was a prison officer, but because of how I was with mm -hmm. people. So... You know, all this doing the job to help people, either selling it now, you're not helping nobody like that. Hmm. You know, it's just, it's just, it's false. If you go into the job believing you're going to change people's lives, you're going to be very disappointed. Hmm. Um, now, very little communication. Prisoners locked up all day, so you don't get to know anyone. If you'd have hmm. worked with me on caving at Strange Ways, 200 lads, yeah, I guarantee you. After what, two, three, four weeks, you'd know most of the lads on that wing and they'd know you. However, if it had been locked up all day, no chance. It wouldn't happen. There's none of this, there's no dynamic security. I talk about that all the time, which mm -hmm. is staff prisoner relationships. It makes it safe. Yeah. So people behind the doors all day and staff this side, like you said, who don't know how to talk to them. You imagine I'm behind my door, so you come up. So I said, Gov, I'm, I'm supposed to be seeing dentists. Yeah, well, shut your mouth. Don't press your bell again or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be bubbling behind that door, wanting to get out and get to you. So mm -hmm. I think, what is it? You make an important point in that the less interaction prisoners are having with these prison officers, the more potentially dangerous it could become. In Definitely. That they don't associate the both sides the prison officers don't associate the prisoners as being humans or actual like people and the prisoner Correct. prisoners don't associate the prison officers as being human beings themselves with friends with families with passions with dreams and other things exactly because you, you don't get to know them you know exactly. when i was on caring you know people would know if they come and ask me to do something i'd sort it out for them mm -hmm. other officers might might have another skill or whatever things like that um when they get to know you you can't blag somebody. The easiest and most boring part of the job was having everybody out. On K-Wing, 200 prisoners out all weekend. You can see what they're up to. You can see what's going on by their faces. You know, somebody's a bit down or whatever. Loads of interactions. And that's what's made it safe. Yeah, because like you say, they know you, they know your character. If, I, if I'm working with a dickhead officer, they'll look and they say, yeah, I'll go and ask Mr. S. Or they'll send somebody else. Somebody mm -hmm. might come up, look, I'm new. Can you go and see him? Don't see him, that sort of thing. Yeah. But, you know, some of the relationships I had started at Forest Bank. These lads I'd known for like 15, 16, 17, 18 years. 
So you aren't blagging someone for all that time. So that dynamic security did make it safe. That mm-hmm. isn't there anymore. Like you say, they don't know me. They don't know nothing about me. To me, you know, I, I'm behind my door, pressing my bell, point, wait and see dentist. I might speak to five different people who all tell me not to press my bell, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so th- there's none of that. Whereas if they come to me, you know, on K-Wing, or I'll check, let, let me go and have a seat. Let me find out if you come back to them. Look, you're not down. I'm sorry. They might not like your answer, but they appreciate you coming back to them. So yeah. all that's gone. So it does make it very dangerous for me. Mm. Very volatile. Yeah, certainly. I think the, the interaction between prisoners and prison officers, especially on a, a more level footing, as opposed to this ingrained power dynamic that's going on there I think actually communicating with one another helps to helps both of them to regulate their emotions better so as opposed to prison officers getting annoyed at prisoners all the time and prisoners getting annoyed at prison officers because they don't have that level of communication that they should do or could do well the the other thing is you know if if they were out say they were on caving now I'm working with a new officer Mm. you go and ask him something you don't know you know, I can go, what, what's the problem here, right? So you, you're telling the prisoner or sorting that out, but the, the guy's also seeing, or lass, how you interact with them, and they're also mm-hmm. learning the job like that. So yeah. all that's gone. You know, you, you don't know anything when you go in the job. You don't know what the res- resources are, but mm-hmm. now it's even worse. Yeah. So it's, it's a bad thing for me, yeah. definitely. And if you're getting a bit younger people and more inexperienced people um, coming in and working as prison officers, the um, what the is it the Zimbardo University experiment comes to mind, where they set up a, a mock prison and assign roles as a prisoner. And oh, prison I'll tell you what, it was. officer. It was the Stanford Prison That's Experiment, the mm. where literally. Students applied. They didn't tell mm-hmm. them what they were applying for. They got paid well. Said, right, your guards, your prisoners, you can help design the prison. Mm. The, the people who were prisoners were actually arrested by real police properly, you know, to get, give it some sort of, so they could get into the role, mm-hmm. strip searched and everything like it would be going into prison. Mm. Um, it ran for a very short time because the people who become guards, some have become very cruel and got into the role straight away. Um, the, the main thing to come out was it, it, it just showed you put good people in a bad place and they become bad. Um, you know, I work with officers. It was a bit more difficult in my time when people are out all the time, but when they used to be banged up in the 70s and 80s, I've just interviewed a lad now. He's, uh, he's early 70s. He worked at Strangeways, 1975. Mm-hmm. to 1985 i'll put it up on a podcast it's called john It'd be a okay. very good one to watch i've just done the second part with him and it's it it, it, it just it doesn't shock me anymore but you know for instance he said he once went onto the segregation unit right and he said everyone down there got levered at that time mm. he bought a big terrine of, of soup down for the lads hot soup yeah one of the officers just unzipped his flies and pissed in it. And he looked and said, what, you know, what the, what are you doing? He mm. says, that's how it is down here. 
you know, if you come down here, this is what you get. Mm. I mean, it's be you know, I can't even comprehend. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there were some bad people then, a lot of bullies. Mm. Um, do you think we mentioned officers? Go on, sorry. It's, do you think the power dynamic of being put in this position of power, saying yes, you can put someone behind their door, you can do this, you can do that. Do you think that plays into some people's? Yeah, I'll tell you what it their is. One of, one, of, one of my favorite little sayings now. You know, it's easy to stand in a crowd. It's very difficult to stand on your own. Mm. Like he says, I, I asked him quite often. Um, I said, did you get support? What he did, if he saw something like that, he'd report it and he'd document it. Hmm. He will have, he will have, he, he, he did, he got assaulted a lot at work by staff, this is, okay. during his time. Um, he, he come up against it a lot. And I said, did you have support? He says, yeah, I had a lot of support. A lot of people weren't brutal, didn't like the brutality of the system. However, they were too scared to say anything. Mm -hmm. So they just went along with it. These bullies in my time that I saw wouldn't do anything in front of me. Mm -hmm. they, they would definitely pick their audience. So if they were going to go in a cell and, and give someone a smack or whatever, they wouldn't do it if I were there. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't do it if some of my friends were there. You know, they might do it in front of a young, experienced officer. Now, what's that officer going to think? If he goes to a cell with somebody who walks in cell, tells someone to keep the mouth shut, punches them in the face and then comes out. What's mm -hmm. th this is Pick that you know, yeah. Plus might be, he might not agree with that or she, mm. but they're too scared to say anything. Mm. Um, I, I work with a lot of good people who saw a lot of bad stuff. Some people have turned their backs um, and, and just ignore it. And others, you know, just sort of took it on the chin. It's got to affect you that though. Yeah. You know, seeing seeing things like that, um, mm -hmm. it's very brutal. And for me, that that's where it's going again. Yeah. Definitely, I think I personally see prisons as quite, you know, dehumanising. In that you're just putting these little, I, the past two years and lockdowns and having to be in your house yep. for most of the day. I think that was one of the only chances with like the mass population have ever has ever had of experiencing not Correct. wholly but partially what it is like to be in a yep. prison but we're not prison of our own making mm. yeah to have people telling what to do mm -hmm. do you know what i always say to people you know people going about the playstations and things like that and holiday camp mm. so just take yourself for one day yeah into your family bathroom mm -hmm. put your quilt put your quilt in bath so you've got a bed go and spend a day in your family bathroom because that's about the size of a prison cell yeah mm. And then you imagine doing years of that, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it it is it is inhuman. It's dehumanising. Um, mm. There's a lot of places around the world who Norway, Norway, um, how they treat their life as they they basically have a bedsit rather than a cell. Mm. Conjugal visits, the family can go up and spend the day with them within the confines of, of you know, where they live or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. Very little violence and things like that. This country is is nearing third world with our prisons now. Mm. You know, they're building 10,000 more places in the next 18 months. For me, they should be 
places in hospitals and mental health wards mm -hmm. or whatever, or mm -hmm. build a mental health hospital. There's mm -hmm. that many people who are unwell in prison. You know, we shouldn't be... All, all we're doing in this country, providing another 10... We're not addressing nothing, not addressing addiction. Mm -hmm. The amount of addicts that go, less than six-month sentences. So now... I'm not sure the exact cost. Costs around forty-five thousand to keep someone in prison for a year. So an That's addict, a lot of money. Yeah. So an addict, six months. Call it twenty-two grand. Yeah, I'm sure we could do more with them. Mm, with that um, money as well. Yeah, not addressing addiction or whatever. He's just mm -hmm. taking them off the streets so they're not robbing or whatever. Yeah, it's horrendous, mate. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I think is it the. I don't know, the lack of opportunities for people, the lack of the prospects, people don't know what to do with their lives or what they want to achieve because they see that the world is against them, that there are all these different structures and that you can't achieve this because of this and you can't do that because, because of that, really. I mean, it might sound a bit quiet. Uh, I think the problem negative. is it's, mm -hmm. no one's willing to give them a chance. The, the fact mm -hmm. is now, employment-wise, you, 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 if you're an employer... You know, you have 20 people come for a job and two being in prison, just getting binned straight away. People aren't going to... There's very few opportunities. There is some people, some organisations that help get people jobs, but the percentage of people who live prison who are benefiting from that is tiny. Reoffending rate is currently running at 80%. So 80% mm. of people who leave are going back within 12 months. Mm -hmm. if, so, if anything that's just demonstrating that as you say it's not rehabilitating people is it no could they potentially further criminalizing people well you know what, what happens with a prison sentence right so say you get four years you might serve two and you do two on license which means you're released mm. those two years on license you're under probation if you breach or do something wrong you can go back to prison for the rest of your sentence, yeah? So potentially, mm -hmm. if you come out after two years, did something wrong, you could go back for another two years. However, whilst on licence, you have to declare that to an employer. Mm -hmm. So if I go for a job, you have to write that, you you know, you're, you're on licence or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it's the opposite of equal ops, isn't it? Because people are going to discriminate. <laughs> If you've got a choice of who you're going to employ and someone just got out of prison, you're not going to give them a chance. Hey, you don't know them. Mm -hmm. So why, why are you going to give them any sort of opportunity? Yeah. There's only Timson. Yeah, go mm -hmm. on. Oh, yeah, Timson, good example, to be fair. Um, yeah. Again, I, I like them in the sense that they're multifaceted. They've got different trades. So although it's one what institution, one yeah. company, there's so many different things you can learn to actually do there. And it's not just key cutting. It's also cobblers. It's also engravings, all these other. Well, the, the other thing skills. is they, they'll probably get loyalty mm. because, you know, if, if you're employing someone who's come out of prison, I, I, mm -hmm. I would think giving someone an opportunity, they would be quite loyal. So I would imagine you know, people who go to Timpsons stay with Timpsons. Um, yeah. They'll probably get reliability and loyalty from giving them that chance. Mm -hmm. But I don't see anyone else or very few people, um, you know, providing opportunities. Plus, mm. 
we're not giving we're not we're not giving anyone a trade or anything. Mm-hmm. Strange ways. I've I've said this a lot. The two best workshops. So as a sentenced prisoner, you're required to work. Yeah. So mm-hmm. at Strange Ways, we had uh, about three hundred places in workshops, and maybe hundred and twenty on education. Now we held twelve hundred. So a third of the people you could send to work or education. So if you got half the population were sentenced, then obviously you can't provide places. But the best workshops were plastering, Mm -hmm. where you'd learn how to plaster and you will get like an MVQ or equivalent. Mm -hmm. And the bricky shop where you'd learn to lay bricks. Well attended, lads could leave with a a recognised qualification within the building industry. So Mm -hmm. as a bricky or plasterer, you could go and earn two, three, four hundred pound a day. It was Mm -hmm. a skill. Them two workshops got closed and turned into office space so people could interview people. So as it were then, like I said, you know, lads could leave, could earn mm. a grand a week as a brickie. Yeah, obviously it's very competitive, the building game, but they had mm-hmm. some skills, they at least had a chance. Whereas now at Strange Ways, you know, there's nothing, nothing mm. at all, not giving them no skills. Am I right in saying that once a prisoner is released, are they given what a hundred pounds a change of clothing and then just sent on the way? Oh, well, they don't get given a change of clothing. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of prisoners obviously have property within prison. If they haven't got anything, mm. they will have prison clothing, but they're not allowed to, you know, take an excess out. Get about ninety six quid mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but again, if you if you're say a London lad, yeah. You can apply for travel, but you might get released at Strange Ways, mm. 10 o'clock in the morning. You have to buy your own ticket and that to get a train to London. And wherever mm-hmm. you live in London, you know, you, you will have to see probation that day. So, mm. and a lot of people go onto streets. So 96 quid to go onto streets, you know, homeless or whatever. Mm. Nothing, is it? No, not at all. I think they've that procedure of releasing them with what that amount of money and what the stigmatization that comes with being an offender and that you might not be able to get a job and if you've been in prison for certain things your community might have um what, neglected you or forgotten about you or oh, yeah, don't want anything to do with you it's it's no surprise that a lot of prisoners after being released are back in prison so quickly because they will have their community will be within these prisons, the people that they know and they're friends with and will have been there for them in what before prison might not be there for yeah. them now because of the fact they've been to prison and they will look to who they know, who they're comfortable with. And more often than not, by the sounds of it, these are people who are back in the prison and what they'll live on the streets for a bit, as you say, and then what that might drive them towards more criminality. They might use... Uh, what be it skills or ideas that they picked up within prison after speaking? Oh with yeah, other... it definitely makes people better criminals. Prison. Mm. I mean, the fact that so many homeless can't claim benefits because they don't have an address. You know, for me, yeah. if you're living in Manchester Town Centre and you're homeless, mm-hmm. there's a job centre in Town Centre that that should be your address. You should be able to go in, mm-hmm. whether it's once a week, twice a week, twice fortnightly, whatever and claim benefit using that address. Saying because mm. you haven't got address, you can't claim benefit and you're homeless. Mm. Come on. It's like, 
we, we used to have it strange ways, uh, maybe two dozen regulars, mm. November, December, get arrested, Dean's Gate, you know, going in an off license, opening a bottle of vodka, drinking it, police come arrest two months, they're inside mm-hmm. for Christmas. Yeah, it's regular. Not, it's bed, it's shelter, it's warm, food. some warmth and food. Yeah, exactly. It's bed and living on streets. Yeah, genuinely. Like, I don't, I'm not surprised that so many be it of the homeless community or those who do leave prison are back in, in prison because of uh, the way it's being described or the way I'm viewing it is that, I don't know, there's not much for them in the outside world. So they look to, again, to go back to the inside world, as it were. They've got friends. Mm. But yeah. Most people, when they go into prison, they've been in once, there's people they know from their area or whatever, and they make friends. So, yeah. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't like to have the choice of being in prison or on the streets, but if, if you don't have a choice, definitely at Christmas, but, you know. But it's, it's cold, it's wet. Yeah, Especially yeah. Especially yeah. Manchester yeah. as well. It's pretty raining yeah. all the time here. Oh, Manchester, Piccadilly Gardens. I don't know. There must be 100 homeless people in Piccadilly Gardens alone now. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah, even though what, Andy Burnham announced his plan to provide housing for all the homeless. I mean, I think some have been housed or given homes, but not all. And I saw recently the uh, government announced that they could provide accommodation for homeless people if they go and get the vaccine, which personally I think is abhorrent because it just <laughs> yeah. demonstrates that they have the capacity and the capabilities to provide accommodation for yeah. every single homeless person in this country. But now they're only offering it to incentivize and coerce people into getting a vaccine. Oh, no, shocking, shocking, shocking. It's, it's, it's criminal, in, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, so what is your most memorable moment from your time as a prison officer? Oh, right. Give me a second. <laughs> Um, it's a bit of a cop out, but it's not this. I think, mm. I think what is nice now, and you know, the last couple of years, and there was one lad, he's changed his name now. He was called O'Neill, then he messaged me mm-hmm. just before last Christmas. So he was on the healthcare. As soon as he said who he was. I remember who he was. Uh, he was quite assaultative. That is my word used in the first book because mm-hmm. people know what it means. It's not in the dictionary. Um, well, for those who assaultive. don't know what yeah. assaultative means, go on. What, yeah. what does it mean? He was assaultative. <laughs> he was mentally unwell, and I mean really mm-hmm. unwell. And he said, he said, I, I assaulted you a couple of times, Mr. Samworth. I went, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember that. He says, <laughs> and... You didn't take it personally. You still treated me right. You tried to do what you could for me. Um, he says, you know, and it, it sort of means a lot that. Um, he says, I'm in a lot better place now. I've changed my name, you know, and it, it's just nice. It, in itself, then, it, it was something nothing for me. It's just something you had to manage. You know, he was in a bad way. Eventually went to emergency section to an hospital. Mm. Um, so it's things like that. Um, as far as most memorable, uh, a, a lot of it's quite dark. Um, mm-hmm. 
let a, a ladder found who had clotheslined his cell, so he was dead. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it is deeply shocking finding someone who's dead. Mm. It might sound a bit blunt, that, but it, it's not something you'd expect. Yeah. Um, I can only imagine how hard yeah, that must it's be, just, not only it's, for you. It's, yeah, there's nothing also. good about it. There's nothing good about mm. him. Um, plus the process, you know, the paperwork. How so, some people are very cold about it. You know, mm -hmm. you get a lot of people. Uh, oh, what's your problem? It's only a con, that sort of thing. Then there's all coroners, all that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, I think probably the thing that's most memorable and is not a positive one is seeing people at the lowest, mm. mentally unwell. Um. I have I have spoke to people like that lad, mm -hmm. you know, who sort of turned himself round. It's nice to know that, you know, when I remember how he was, the fact, you know, he's got a missus now, he's got a kid, he remembers me, that's really nice. Mm -hmm. um, hi. Hi. Just the missus having a nosy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, th I think seeing people at the lowest and not being able to help them other than... Mm you know, sort of showing them kindness or whatever. Um, people who are seriously mentally unwell, again, all, all, all you can do is keep them as safe as possible. Mm. Um, but you are very limited. One of my managers, Bradders, who was a mental health nurse for 40 years, uh, you know, I've seen her in tears plenty of times because people we had when, when they are at the lowest mentally unwell, you know, if they're in a mental health hospital or whatever, or a unit, They'd be getting a jab in arse. They'd be knocked out for a couple of days. Um, so they couldn't arm themselves. And then they gradually, you know, you medicate them. And, and you know, some normality back in their lives. Um, in mm -hmm. prison, quite often, you know, a doctor would have okay to okay giving someone uh, a jab in arse or whatever. And, and they weren't willing to do it. So you would see people doing also destroying the cells, you know, arming themselves. Not willingly, you know, people who are just rock bottom. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I would say on the mental health front, seeing people at the lowest and not being able to help them was probably think, the thing. Uh, with what you're saying and how you mentioned previously that more and more younger people are getting involved in being prison officers, I think... I think especially my generation are maybe not as, you know, mentally hardened as previous generations are or were. And I think that is as a result of maybe be it technology in general, social media and how... Yeah, I definitely think know, so. The whole, I don't know, the way we socialise and the way we interact with one another has changed and evolved into a way that our biology and our brains haven't been able to evolve with that in that we've still got the same um what be it neural functions as what 200 years ago or our yeah. ancestors did yeah but we're operating with technology that they might never have even thought of or conceptualized or they'd be blown away they might think it'd be magic nowadays and if you're throwing what people 18 19 20 21 into yeah. prison and having to see these things, I can only imagine the the stress, the anxiety, and the 
don't know, the negative effects that these see witnessing these things, let alone actually having these things done to you, must like have on these people. I speak to a lot of people who um, left the job, trauma, PTSD, mm. you know, 18 months, two years in the job or whatever. Um, you know, these people who've left the job, he was a lad I was speaking to last year. So he started at 18, he left at 22. He was wrecked. Um, he had been sectioned at some point. He was on medication, you know, complete. Again, like like you say, it's like communicating now. Everyone's on the phones, texting or whatever. Mm. Nobody phones anyone, do they? Mm, if you phone no. people, they don't <laughs> pick the phone up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you're right on that front. These... You know, you're not, I think a lot of things changed sort of the last 25 years, like, um, you know, our schools are or whatever. Mm. Um, probably the generation before you is when, uh, you know, everyone was suing everyone for, mm. you know, if you, if you got on a bus and you tripped over, you'd be suing a bus company. So there was all that law sort of thing that changed. And I think in a lot of cases, particularly in schools or whatever, a lot of young teachers, um, it's, it's very different. You know, if, if I went in school now to, to what it was in my time, you know, when you had a lot of respect for teachers and things like that. Police is a good example. When I was a kid, if you saw a copy, you'd leg it. Mm. You hadn't done anything. You were just scared of them, you yeah. know. Whereas now, I think sort of younger generation probably mock the police or whatever, that sort mm. of thing. Um, so it definitely has changed, like you say, I would say. Mm -hmm. So how does Strange Ways compare to Forest Bank? What Are they similar or dissimilar? Right. Um, as far as buildings, um, Forest Bank now holds potentially 1600 uh where a strange way is maximum capacity of 1200 strange mm -hmm. ways the actual buildings grounds probably four times bigger i always mm -hmm. said if they put strange ways prison population in forest bank with the staff it'd have been the easiest job i've ever had you know forest bank's very compact it is designed you know easier to keep clean uh movement you know from your wing, your house block, to education, to work, to the gym, to reception, to the chapel or whatever. You're talking about 150 metres, strange mm. ways to go to work. It's like off a mile or something like that. <laughs> you know, right. so you, you have, yeah, exactly. Supervising people. So, yeah. Yeah, so building-wise, um, they should get rid of, for me, do away with all the Victorian jails, strange ways premium site that flatten all the buildings around it that are full of people selling snide stuff and drugs um you know shopping complex build flats in the ground or whatever like that mm. that that land is worth a fortune and build a prison on the m60 on the ring road easy access a modern prison modern mm. cells modern facilities you know put showers make them all en suite or something like that, more civilised, mm. like you said. Um, as far as the job, a lot less staff when I started at Forest Bank than they were at Strange Ways. Um, 
when I went strange ways, I thought it was a breeze, honestly. I buzzed mm. off it. Loads more staff, uh, loads more managers. Yeah, just, just totally different. Plus the fact it had a lot of experience. So the prisoners knew where they were. You know, mm-hmm. it was classed as a tough jail. It had a regime, step out of line, you know, and, and you're going nowhere. Whereas Forest mm. Bank, very much in your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, 96 prisoners on a wing, two staff. Um, I was there three years. My last six months, it was just new new staff member after new staff member every day. So I'd mm. go on shift. Somebody brand new, I'd be doing all the work. Um, I, I didn't have time to show them anything. I got fed up with training people. I'm sure that comes into it as well. Mm-hmm. So it was a really difficult job on a lot less pay. At Forest Bank, 22 grand. When I went strange ways after five years, I was on 30 grand. Now mm-hmm. they're both the same. Public sector wages have gone from 30 grand to 22 grand. Mm-hmm. Same as a private sector. So Forest Bank was a more difficult job. Same job um, in that respect. So it made strange ways very easy. So in comparison, it was just less money and less staff. But now mm. it's the same, same staffing levels, same wages, same conditions. Yeah. So do you think having more staff makes the running of a prison better? Um, going back to the dynamic security, the easiest, the easiest and most boring part or easiest way to do the job is have enough staff to get prisoners out. Mm-hmm. Um Forest Bank were always short, but because it was a private prison, uh, you tied down to rules. So the priority was getting prisoners out. It was never that way at Strange Ways. Mm. Um, but now, in prison, you need enough staff to, to open everyone up and run a regime, but you need extra staff. So mm. when there's an incident, you can deal with that. The prison system as a whole now, private and public sector, is that short staff. Mm. You know, that they, they can't get people out because they haven't got enough people to manage incidents as well, which mm-hmm. is what's happened. Um, have we gone off track there or am I still answering the question? I think you're still answering the question. Um, I think we can move on to the next question if you'd like or we can... Yep, yep, crack on. So I think it's already the topic we have covered um, to an extent, but are prisons effective at rehabilitating prisoners or do they push them further into a life of criminality? No rehabilitation. I've already, I've already said that. You know, it's not for me. Simple word is purpose, mm. purposeful activity. Um, sending someone to education, the POA, Prison Officers Association, the biggest union, um, all manner of reformists and activists, and the prison service and the government might mm. consider sending someone education as purposeful. You know, uh, basic key skills, one to maths and English, that sort of thing. Mm. I've already said people leave prison with degrees. They still can't get jobs. So for me, you know, that's not purposeful. Teaching them a skill, plastering, mm-hmm. being able to lay bricks mm. or something similar. Forest Bank, they had uh, they had a welding workshop where you could learn to weld. They mm-hmm. had an auto electrician's workshop where you could become an auto, you know, for me, it's about personal activity. And mm-hmm. what the prison service, the government, 
considered purposeful for me is not purposeful. So mm. no rehabilitation. Uh, definitely people become better criminals. A lot mm. of networking. Um, I, I don't want to even imagine it, but sort of vulnerable prisoners, sex offenders, rapists, pedophiles, mm -hmm. definitely networking. Then mm. people will go out, you know, in, in prison. It's just either activity. They they will be making connections and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I would say it definitely makes people better criminals. Yeah. So do communities band together? So I remember hearing of, uh, what well, over the past over many years, about uh, radicalisation in prisons and what the Islamic community is quite a close-knit yep. community in prison. And are there other similar types of communities in prison? No, not really. The probably um, the Muslim community is massive. It's more like a gang culture. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not about religion. Um, in long-term prisons called dispersal prisons, high-security prisons, Whitemore, Belmarsh, uh, Full Sutton and the like, basically you go there. What, what happened over sort of 15, 20 years is the sort of basically strange ways if you went back to probably i don't know 1990 to 2000 it'd be mm -hmm. probably a 90% white prison population mm -hmm. um random millennium it started changing a lot more muslims coming into prison um a lot of them were like, you know, this grooming gangs type stuff, sex offenders. Mm -hmm. Sex offenders in the cells used to be predominantly white males. Uh, a lot more ethnicities sort of coming in. So so it changed. So when, when they get to long-term prison, these people, um, you know, if you're in a Manchester lad and you've got a full sort, and if there's, if there's a, you're going to wing these five other Manchester lads, you're going to group together with them. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you're from Bolton or Berry, there's some Manchester lads, you're going to stick together. Mm -hmm. uh, the Muslims, it, it's more like it is a gang thing. When you, if, The best way to, to, to describe it is everyone's got a right to religion, yeah? So Friday mm -hmm. prayers for the Muslims. So before I talk about Friday prayers, Sundays they used to have uh, C of E, Church of England, the mm -hmm. Catholic were, and there were some other religions. People would go along, you know, you might walk with your mate quietly, go in, everyone would sing, listen to the chaplain or whatever. Very civilised, like me or you going to church, to a wedding, a christening or whatever. You mm -hmm. know, you, you might not be sort of religious person, but, you know, you go, you be respectful or whatever. Mm -hmm. The Muslims on the way, very noisy, um, very intimidating, uh, within the service, no respect for the imam. You know, you might get off, doesn't at the back, just chatting all the way through. In the mm. C of E or Catholic, Catholic uh, sermon or whatever, if someone was talking, they get kicked out. You know, officer, mm -hmm. can you take that person out? You know, it was all operated respectfully. Not so within Muslim community. When you land in a long-term prison and go on a wing, if you're on a wing with 100 prisoners at full Sutton, 90 of them prisoners are Muslim, you will be approached, you you will be given or or given a choice of sort of joining their gang, 
becoming Muslim or, mm. or you're fighting them. It's as simple as that. And all that's mm. from Salford who have come back to strange ways and, you know, they signed up Muslims and all that. And I've said, well, you know, so Miss Samuel Flood, I'm doing 10 years. I can't you, you can't fight these people. There's too many of them. So mm. you just go along with it. He says, once I get out of prison, that's it. I'm done with it. I'm never coming back. So it does happen. It is like a gang culture. It is very intimidating. Uh, they do... Well, they're, they're banged up. We've already said a lot. You know, the prison population is banged up now. But as a community, very intimidating. They do control a lot of things. Um, I think a lot of the imams, at Strange Ways, we had four imams. We had a main guy and three young imams. One of them, for me, was pretty radicalised. You know, everything, you know, how we used to talk. The other three were really good. They, they'd take everyone as they found them and they treat everyone equally. This mm -hmm. one I'm on about, the young lad, you know, he was only there for the Muslim guys, didn't want to know anyone else, didn't want to speak to anyone else on healthcare. Now he spoke. It was almost, you know, you need to do this for, you know, my brother sort of thing or whatever. It was... Um, it's, it's, it's very dodgy. No one talks about it. I, I have said this tongue-in-cheek enough times. Terrorism, people are going for terror, acts of terror... Um, they are always going to be a risk. Prison makes them more determined. It makes them angrier. They definitely change people. The people who are going to be blowing up bits of London and Manchester and things like that are white lads from Salford, mm. um, you know, who, who have been radicalised. There's no GCSE de-radicalisation. These mm. We've had a couple the last couple of years, haven't we, who've come out and they've started chopping people up on London Bridge and things like that. Hmm. It doesn't change people. There's nothing in there. We had a lad on Sea Wing, the lifers wing, who was in for extreme terrorism. He got 10 years. You know, he was on a normal wing, that lad. They were doing nothing with him, no psychologically. He will just getting angrier and talking to people. And, I, and I've seen lads who... who they start talking as though they've been a Muslim all their life and, you know, they sort of disown their families and things like that. They, they bang in, in, you know, they're in there sort of thing. It's mm -hmm. it's not a myth. It is happening. It does happen. It is happening now. Um, yeah, it's not good. There's a lot. Mm. I don't really remember. Again, I'm probably too young, but the Joyce and Amos from Moss Side, yeah? Mm -hmm. Round about... 2007, 2008. There's two murders. Hmm. Got a load of Gooch gang from Moss Side. So Joyce and Amos, if you look them up after, there's Lee Amos and Colin Joyce, yeah? Mm -hmm. Look them up. You'll find out who they are. Them two lads, I'm not sure which dispersal they're in now. Part of, wherever they are, they're the main Muslim guys. They were Gooch gang members then. No, no affiliation to any religion. They both got uh, something like 38 years. Whichever prison they're at now, they're mm -hmm. sort of at the top of the hierarchy. They're both Muslim converts now. They're running that prison. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're two, two lads, black ethnicity from Moss Side, who are now running one of the prisons. And all the Muslim guys under them, they control them all. So, you know, 
Um, serious stuff. Mad. Do you think what could be done to improve the prison system? Me, right now, one thing, mm-hmm. enough staff. Okay. Enough staff, settled staff, just to be able to get people out and have a regime. Um, time out of cell, regular time out of cell. If it was two hours a day and everyone knew they were getting out for two hours a day, start building up that dynamic security. POA, mm-hmm. Prison Officers Association, government ministers now, you know, they're not interested. For me, mm. there's loads of activist groups, reformists, nobody's interested. Um, it's, it's going back 23-hour bang up and worse. So mm-hmm. for me, enough staff to go back to sort of around about 2010, 2012, so you could have a regime and get people mm-hmm. out. Yeah. So yeah. a world without prisons might be desirable for some, but it is not possible to achieve. What do you think of this notion? Twitter. <laughs> Twitter's <laughs> not a real world, is it? But yeah. Um, probably, I don't know, 20% of people in prison need to be in prison, uh, probably mm-hmm. need bigger sentences and they are a danger to the public. The other 80%, you know, there must be some alternative. Um, maybe a sort of prison-type environment where, you know, they, they don't have the freedom to wander around in public or whatever, you know, like a community. Even if it was style prison, woman's prison, right, they have house blocks, not house blocks like prison, but maybe six-bed houses where mm. six lasses live. So they have a shared bathroom as close to modern living as you would get. So for me, yeah, keep keep your hardcore prisons, your dispersals, your high security, but you need a more sort of therapeutic community. Mm. This prison, I saw a documentary on a prison in Germany, um, which completely changed. The governor said, you know, I've had enough of this. Very dangerous people. It's not working. They unlock them at six in the morning and they lock them back up at 10 at night. They can cook their own food. Mm. Uh, they can wander around the garden. They can spend all day in sunshine. They basically give them freedom to do what they want within the confounds of the walls. Mm-hmm. Violence down 90%, very few assaults, very few fights, mm. uh, very little drug use. You know, if, if someone gets caught using drugs, boom, you, you're back in a, a real prison house block for a month or whatever. So mm-hmm. basically, it's give people a lot of freedom um, mm. and choice within the confines, and it works. So, yeah, you need what, what you need in this country is you need someone. Prison ministers changing, you know, in the last five years, probably had three. Need someone who's going to be there in charge 25 years. Same mm-hmm. as the prison service. Someone, you know, who's got a vision and away you go. 25-year plan. Mm. As a start. Why do you think England has such a large prison population? Um, I don't know the, the exact figures, but um, a lot of people in prison have gone through abuse, childhood trauma. We don't address that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you were saying that sort of your generation has been protected. They're being protected in one sense. In the other, there's a certain naivety. And for me, 
if I could do anything to improve the system, I'd have a roadshow. I'd go into schools twice a year from four or five-year-olds up to, obviously, school leavers. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you, you, you deliver different to target audiences, but you talk about everything, absolutely everything. Criminality, you get bobbies in, addicts, you know, um, teaching proper life skills, how to communicate, uh, finances, every, everything you can imagine, social media, mm. the pitfalls of social media, the reality. Uh, you know, you've got these these people who are saying, you know, buy my products, do this if you want to look like me, all that sort of thing. Mm. And and twice a year, you would deliver that, um, mm. educating people. I, I, I think we're missing an opportunity. And mm. I met some fantastic youth workers but when you get kids 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, and they're being looked after or supervised by youth workers, boom, they're already on that path. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids, when I worked at Oldwood House, you know, a lot of them had not had the best starts in life. That's when we needed to be doing something with them. All we did, you know, we, we looked after them and, and cared for them and tried to give them as much like a real home life as possible. Mm-hmm. There was no counselling for them. They're all screwed in head and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think we just just missed an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, well, look at London. London's mm-hmm. just out of control, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What knife crime, rising yeah. gun culture, yeah. all these things. Yeah, no, no one knows how to deal with it. No one's how to tackle it. Fact mm-hmm. is, when you've got these youngsters in gangs, you know, I don't mean this in a bad way, but they're sort of beyond help mm. you sort of need to get kids while they're in school keep them in school educate the children it won't be necessary to punish the man yep um i think i don't know the, I, I, I don't know i feel for my me and my generation my age group i think we're entering a world or once we leave school but we're going from a place of a lot of structure a lot of um, like regiment to a world where i don't know people don't have as much control or uh, influence over how they live their lives. They're just left to go out, find a job, and then you're working, what, nine to five, five days a week, 330 days a year for the next 50-odd years until you retire and then eventually die. And I think younger people are, I don't know, filled more with this existential dread where it's like, right, where is the world going? We've got all these, a lot of fear mongering in, in the media. Be it so. Oh, the media is terrible. Right. Through my lifetime, you've had what? So 2000, 2001, you've got nine 11, and then you've got the yep. war and terror subsequent for the next what, 16, 20 odd years now, 20 odd years now. And then what? 2016, you got what 2008 financial crisis 2016 yep. you've got brexit and donald trump and that i think 2016 was the um the point where i don't know the media social media be it twitter facebook and everything i think it all got turbocharged the dial got turned up a bit and the amount of information that has been pushed out to people and the amount of information people are consuming and not even consuming um in a like a second level in the sense that information's going in 
but they're not processing it as deeply as previously. Do you, do you not think that a lot of youngsters' expectation isn't reality? Mm. Yeah, I think we, I don't know, I think we do expect certain things. And I think growing up in what comfortable, I think being comfortable has for a lot of the population is maybe not, not exactly like sapped their be at their ambition or their energy or what they think or want to do with their lives i think it's the expectation that again yeah you'll you'll leave education you'll leave school you'll either go on do an apprenticeship or go into work and then what holiday once a year have a few kids retire and then yeah just wither away be it in a what a four by four room in a retirement home or if you've I don't know <laughs> look lucky enough or if you've I don't know established yourself enough throughout your life to be comfortable when you retire then I don't know you might have a bit more freedom over well what I, what you I, can do. I, I think the cost of living now is is way higher than it used to be. Way mm. higher. And you know probably only way your kids are gonna get houses is when you leave them in the will. Mm, yeah, you know the the people who are going to earn, I don't know, top top earners, ten percent, maybe five percent of the population. They're the people who will be comfortable. The rest of you are going to be working just to like pay your bills or whatever. Which is a lot of people. Mm. That's the reality of it now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, as you say, the what the cost of living has gone up significantly. I remember seeing that. Um, I think that's what is partially contributed to the generation gap. So. There's a lot of, especially my generation, a lot of, not necessarily disdain, but um, a, a dislike for the older generation. By older generation, I'm talking more, what, I don't know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, the boomers, as it were, in that. Yeah. Our, my generation and what, the millennials, the up to around 30-year-olds, are looking at the older generation and thinking that they've had it, maybe not necessarily had it easier, but that the things that the necessities in life, be it shelter, food, um, what drink, and then what warmth and something to do, a job, I think they might have been easier for people to get a more lifelong um, form of that. So you could what, work a job for 30 odd years and then within three years, you'd have enough money to outright buy your house and outright yep. buy maybe a car. Whereas nowadays, what well, even if if let's say if you go into higher education, you pick up 30 grand's worth of debt at the minimum, if not more. If you don't go into higher education, then you, what you can go straight into a job. But even then, the taxes you're having to pay, be it national insurance, council tax, all these other things that the that increasing recently, um, it reduces your, I don't know, your financial power. And then when it comes to buying a house, you have to get a mortgage, which is further indebting yourself. So you, you don't actually own your house. The bank does, because if you can't pay off your mortgage, then they'll just what dispossess you, get rid of your house and sell it to someone who can pay for, for it or is, can pay for that mortgage. And Definitely. I, know, I, think, I think that is what is, I don't know, my generation is looking at the older generation and blaming them for it and which I, I i think is wrong because not not everyone has actual 
I think people like to think they've got power in their lives in the world, but in reality, they really don't. You've got less than 1% of the population who actually has some influence over the direction this country is going. You've got, what, 600-odd MPs, and then you've got, what, a few hundred-odd um, what members of the Lords who, again, all from, well, it's not necessarily all, but a lot of them from Privileged. the same community. Yeah, from yeah, the same community, gone to Oxbridge, and they'll promise this, that, and the other, everything under the sun to get these votes. And then when it comes to actually implementing them, the they'll what maybe change those, just change the rules of the game. They'll move the goalposts and say, yes, we might promise this, but have this instead. And that's meant to appease us. And I think people are too quick to forget that the, the situation that we're facing right now, be it socially, culturally, or politically, just in general, the, the way our lives are and the way that, I don't know, not the game of life, but the, the structure of how your life is, a lot of his, that is determined by the people in power and the people in politics. And people say, oh, yeah, you voted for Brexit, you voted for these, you voted for them. And they're associating the people who vote for these people or these things with yeah. the actual implementation of these things or of the actions of these people. Exactly. And, that that's to me that's wrong right media media you know you only have to look at covid um mm. what was it uh eight weeks ago petrol shortage uh, yeah that was a myth, petrol to be honest yeah just 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 went crazy mm. and then five days later it's done mm. you know the the media for me i stopped watching media don't watch terrestrial tv Mm. Um, Twitter, I go on and put my little post like today mm -hmm. about kids, which is, you know, it's quite apt and that. When I first went on Twitter, I just, it is toxic, you know, mm. it's just, it's just people going on about bloody COVID, anti-vaxxers, vaxxers, you know, mm. it's all like mudslinging and that. It's not, mm. it's not good. And I mm. think particularly younger generation are quite influenced by media. Um, mm -hmm. I saw a post, I can't find it. My mate did it, it was very clever. It, when it was on about climate change and you know how we ruined the planet, mm. you know, when I was a kid, we had glass milk bottles that mm -hmm. you'd put out every day when you'd had the milk, and they go back mm -hmm. to the bottling plant and they were washed, and then they'd come back to you. And there was mm -hmm. a lot of recycling then. Um even though you didn't consider it, you know, it was just mm. normal. People, you put your milk bottles out, someone texts them, get washed, fill them up with milk, bam, 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 that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And he did a really long post on all the things, you know, how they used to be in that, mm -hmm. uh, and how they are now, you know, and, and things have changed in the last 25, 30 years. It's disgusting what happens, but then I think the media just... It, is not a good thing at all. It's not good for people. And I think mm. it affects people's mental health as well. Yes. And like, the ex like you say, the expectations. But definitely mm. cost of living, doing no one any favours at the minute. 95, mm. probably 99% of the population, you know, like us, mm. got more until I'm 70. I'll probably pay it off. My daughter's in there now listening. She, she, <laughs> she'll get our house, but... You know, mm. I've got to get 70 to pay the mortgage off and then that's how it is. That's the reality of it. So, yeah, I think with the um, 
what with debt itself I think it's quite trapping it's it limits the scope of hum, human potential in that as opposed to thinking about what you can do to be change the world or some what you can do what you can create or add to this world you're thinking more right what can I do to pay off this debt what can I do and for yeah. most people it's I can work what nine to five or I could do a bit more overtime to get this paid off get that paid off and then maybe I might be able to afford to go on holiday once a year with my family but that, that that to me that should not be how people live their lives we've got such a well, finite time on this planet and at the end of the day when you're on your deathbed you won't be surrounded by the what the things you bought or what the the company you worked for for what what 50 odd years you'll be surrounded by your friends and your family the people whose lives that you impacted by doing what you do by socializing by you know experiencing the world and what it has to offer it's them. right what they say, you know, you'll be judged by what you do, not what you say. Mm. And at the end of the day, everyone's graves six foot by two foot two or whatever. It doesn't matter what you've mm. got. It's the same size millionaire or pauper. So quite, quite a sort of um, philosophical conversation that was. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> I love it, though. I love it. <laughs> right. I've got, um, what, three more uh, prison-related uh, questions. So what is the social function of punishment? Well, the punishment is going to prison. It, it's very simple. That is the punishment. You know, people aren't in prison to be punished. Uh, prison is the punishment. However, how it is now, Grim reality, like I said, no purpose, mm. mental health issues. Um, so, yeah. But, you know, as we've already said, you do need prisons. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be sending as many people as you do, but you do, you know, it's all right. People going out of addiction saying we shouldn't be sending addicts to prison. We'll come up with a solution. You need an mm. alternative because if someone's going out robbing, you know, old ladies and grannies and stuff like that. You need to do something with them. So everyone needs a sense of purpose. Yeah. A I lot, a lot is, of stuff in prison but, is punitive. Mm. It is punitive. It's simple as that. Yeah, just to what that get that pound of flesh that. Yeah, people but want. The, the staff the staffing levels now are dictating. You mm. know, so it's not a good place for anybody working mm. either side the door. Yeah. So what would you say are the effects of imprisonment on individuals and communities, including prisons impact on different prisoner categories, ex-prisoners and their families? Uh, I, I just say now it, there's, there's no positives. Negative environment always has been. Mm -hmm. um, family con contacts important, obviously, you know, you said we just had a pandemic two years. You've had a taste of what it's like. I, I wouldn't like to be working in prison now, and I wouldn't like to be going in prison. I, I can't draw any positives at all. There's no purposeful activity. There's nothing really. It's just about uh, doing the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's where we're at. There's, no, there's nothing to add. You know, there's nothing, nothing positive at all I can add to that. So mm. that, that's where we're at, as it were. Yeah, so... Yourself as a prison officer, could it be viewed that you were a prisoner to a certain extent in that you worked and operated in the oh, same definitely. place as these people, but the only definitely. difference being 
you could go home at the end of the day. Well, that that was the only difference. Mm. Go home at the end of the day, you know. Um, still grim, uh, not good for your families at mm. all. Uh, long hours culture again, just just working to pay bills, but in a very very negative environment that impacts your health and your mental mm. health, physical and mental health. So, yeah. I know what you're thinking. Why did you do it? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, at the end of the day, I, I, wa I wanted security, you know, and I thought about having a de decent pension. You don't consider what impact it's going to have on you and your family, but the impact is massive, believe me. Mm -hmm. it, it's equivalent, I would say it's equivalent to a prisoner's family. Mm. You know, that sort of thing. Okay, that's interesting. So imagine a world without prisons. What would it look like? Uh, I I think it would depend on the postcode lottery. I'm, I'm lucky where we live in Wakefield. Um, it's quite a decent place. Mm. I, I think the less money you add... Um, you know the the sort of more deprived the area, the the worse it'd look. Mm -hmm. I think poor people would be destroying themselves because obviously that's what happened. They wouldn't be going and robbing rich people. Mm -hmm. It'd it'd be sort of the poorer communities where it'd have the biggest impact, like London. You know these housing projects and that where youngsters are just perpetrating crime against each other, aren't they? So. Mm. I, I think it'd be pretty grim. It'd be like the purge, really. The rich would be fine, all nice and dandy in their mm. secure environment with private security. And if you weren't in that environment, be every man for himself. Mm. Uh, people become very selfish, don't they? Yeah, certainly. Right. So yeah, I just think it'd be uh, it'd be grim. And <laughs> the more the more poor the area lived, more deprived, the worse it'd be. Mm, yeah, that's a that's a very poignant note to uh, to end on, really.